Welcome to Lauren and Maddie's Magical Mystery Hour, the podcast where two curious souls delve into the enchanting world of whimsical topics, all while embracing a relaxed, elevated state of mind. I'm Lauren. And I'm Maddie. And here on this mystical auditory adventure, we aim to unlock the hidden wonders of the universe, exploring the bizarre, the fantastical, and the peculiar with open minds and an insatiable sense of wonder. Each episode, one of us will research a topic of our choice and lead the discussion while the other person vibes along for the ride. And wait, there's one more twist. As these stories unfold, we'll be enjoying the company of our favorite herbal friend, Mary Jane. So get your favorite herbal companions ready, sit back, and let the magical mystery hour begin. Hi, Maddie. Hi, Lauren. How are you? You know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm just happy to be here. (laughs) Happy to be vibing and thriving. Oh, my God. I really am. I really am. How are you? I'm good. I, uh, you know, you you said that your edible is hitting you. Yeah. If you couldn't tell the... (laughs) (laughs) It is. Are (laughs) Are you on that same wavelength? Um, I feel like it's like, I can't tell if it's because I'm just like insanely exhausted or not, but I feel a little bit of like a little like, ooh, la la. Like it might be, it might start, it might start happening for me in the next like five minutes. So I'm ready to, I'm ready to rock and roll it. I think that works great because then you have the ability to focus on telling your wonderful story to me today. Oh! And I it's, can sit back a little bit and just like I know. for the ride. And I will say, like, it is nice to be the one on the listening end. Like, I was having a hoot and a hollering last time. Right? I was like, just loving it. I feel like so much more zen because last time I was so nervous and I was like, oh, I'll say, my, say my words, say my word script talk, you know? Yeah. And now I yeah. can just sit back and do the listening. And enjoy it. So, okay. So as everybody knows by now, every week we switch it up. So this week I am the one telling the lore. (laughs) (laughs) And I honestly had such a hard time picking this because there were just so many things I could choose from. And I felt so like overwhelmed with desire That I ended up settling on something that, honestly, I've been talking about for several months now. Several, several months ago, like earlier this year, I did a huge Wikipedia deep dive into Mount Everest, (sighs) which is going to be today's topic. I'm going to talk about the mountain, the... There's a lot of deaths. Yeah, lots of deaths on the mountain. And some of the, the fun folklore yetis um but I thought I, I would just sort of set the stage for this all give you some like a bit of an introduction and then also some really important facts about the mountain that I think you know are going to be helpful later on but also just like things that I think are cool about Mount Everest so okay. if you didn't already know Mount Everest is the tallest mountain on earth which is to me, Tall. at least, very, very unsettling because of the height. You know, that is something where it's like, I feel like I don't understand the idea of actually, like, what mountains are. Because it's like, 
you know, Canada has some mountains, but I feel yeah. like that concept of a mountain, I can't even honestly wrap my head around. Well, no, totally. And also, like, we grew up on the East Coast, so, like, we never saw, like, mountains. And yeah. I, I've personally never been to the West Coast. Me either. I know you ha- I thought you had. No, I've never been anywhere um, further than Ontario. Sadly. I thought you went to California. Well, you went to California once, didn't you? Yeah, but I'm thinking Canada. Yeah, yeah, okay, just, yeah. like, purely in Canada. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, no, so I know it's, like, for us, it's, like, I mean... You know, I got some hills I can look at, the Gatineau Hills. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I can look over the sides of cliffs here. But yeah, like, you ha- like, like Newfoundland is quite rocky. Yeah, when you go to the, like, ocean line, coastline, there's some, there's some scary-looking cliffs. But I think it's kind of different to look upwards at a mountain, you know what I mean? Than looking yeah. over the edge. You know, because it's like... I don't know, I'm just... I don't think, well, obviously I'm also thinking of like looking straight up, like I'm looking at the side of a building. So I know that's probably not what that experience would be like, (laughs) but I guess I'll find out more about what that experience would be like. Okay. So just as like a preface to my personal fascination. Now I mentioned that I had done a Wikipedia deep dive, but I think my original fascination with Mount Everest began when I was like five or six years old. Um, when it was, I still remember 2006, um, in animal kingdom in Disney world in Florida, they had built a brand new ride called expedition Everest. And as a child, I remember watching the ad for it and being just like, so excited to ride this because it was a roller coaster, obviously, but it featured this mountain and this Yeti and it was super elusive and spooky and kind of scary. And so I really think that my whole life, basically, I've been kind of like loving Everest as like this sort of entity. Um, But um, I, you know, I never really thought about it like as a real thing. I just sort of thought about it in the context of like Disney, but it's, it's essentially described as a, as a um, high speed train journey through the icy Himalayan peaks. (gasps) <gasps> where you meet okay. a mythical yeti. So for me, I always felt like the roller coasters theming was like, it portrayed Everest as like this elusive, out of reach, icy cold entity Ooh. that really like resonated with me. Um, and it also kind of like in the ride, it kind of like, despite the fact that like, it's sort of the backdrop for this ride, it kind of is like its own distinctive character shrouded in legends myths and a lot of real tragedies which we'll get into mm-hmm. um and you know the the mountain's reputation isn't solely due to it's like obviously the fact that it's like the tallest mountain in the world but it's also like it's the source of a lot of just like myths and urban legends and you know fatalities and stuff like that that make it just sort of a very captivating figure if you will Okay, so I'm going to give you, like, the important facts. Like, some some important facts I think were, like, key. Just, like, general knowledge. Because I really don't know a lot about Mount Everest in terms of, like, actual statistics. You know what I mean? Of, like... Yeah. Yeah, give me some things so if I ever go to, like, trivia night and it just (laughs) happens to be Mount Everest-themed, I will kill it. (laughs) You will literally crush it. Okay, so... Mount Everest 
is known as, and you're going to have to forgive me if I, if I really mess this up. Okay. Sagar Matha in Nepali, which translates to goddess of the sky, which I think is oh, so pretty. that's beautiful. Um, and it also is known as Chomolungma in Tibetan, which means goddess mother of the world or goddess, mother goddess of the universe, which, again, oh, I, always, I, I really like that Mount Everest is um, has a female or feminine connotation to it. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's the tall and like usually like when we think about things like that, like sometimes like the biggest things are like like masculine, yeah, more masculine. I love how this is like very like it's she is the goddess mother of the universe or goddess mother of the world, mother goddess of the universe, goddess of the sky. Like she is like this beautiful large entity that like rules our universe, which I think is just like which when you think about it, like. Beautiful. It would make sense that anything to do with like creation or like caring would be feminine because that's how we perceive like the world around us anyway. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Like for sure. Yeah. Okay, so here is the most important fact. It okay. is eight thousand eight hundred and forty eight point six meters or twenty nine thousand and thirty one point seven feet tall. That is real tall. So, okay, so the Burj Khalifa is the tallest building in the world, right? We know that. that I, I know that now. <laughs> yes. Oh, you didn't know that? Okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> wow. Okay, I didn't know this. This is going to freak you out. Okay, I'm so So, like so I ready. said, the Mount Everest is, is almost 9,000 meters tall. It's 8,848.88 meters. I love the how many Burj Khalifa, are in that. The Burj Khalifa, which is the tallest building in the world, stands at 829.8 meters. <gasps> oh my god. So like Mount Everest could basically put that building in its pocket. Like it could it could swallow it 10 times. That's actually wild though. And see that's where I'm like I have no concept of size because that I like that makes me less understanding of how big this mountain is. No, I like, know. If the tallest building which I can probably not even imagine how tall that is is like 10 times smaller. Like holy shit. Oh, no, she's large like, and yeah, and people climb that shit. People like, climb it and 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 just for like reference here, you've been to New York City. Yes. The Empire State Building is only 443 meters tall. <gasps> oh, and I was feeling like I was going to pass out when I was up there cuz it felt so high. Yeah. Exactly. Oh my god. So it just gives you like an idea of like she is not a small thing. No, she's imposing. Very imposing. Yeah. You so know, Oh yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna say No, it's okay. You know how like in Greek mythology, like Mount Olympus is like the gods live up there kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, honestly, if I was like a little peasant person from whatever so many years ago I'd be like yeah the gods probably do live up there because I can't even understand how tall this is <laughs> like yeah that's crazy and I know they weren't on yeah. Mount Everest but you know what I mean of like no yeah for like, sure like, was, like it, whoa <laughs> it's quite a it's quite a size so that's just to give you an idea of how fucking huge this mountain is mm-hmm. um that is its height compared to other things um another thing that I'd like to mention is that the first 
successful um, climbing of the mountain on record yeah. was not actually until 1953. Um, oh. And it was accomplished by Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norgay, who was a Sherpa. Um, and I was just reading through Sir Edmund's uh, Wikipedia page because, by the way, he will come back uh, several more times oh throughout my God. this. To haunt me? Um, yeah, just because he feels like it. Um, okay. But he, he was... <laughs> this literally made me giggle a little bit. I was like, wow, this person, Tom Stobart, who's a cameraman who I guess accompanied them on their part of their journey. In, in um, what year again, sorry? 1953. Okay, I was like, they had cameras, but yeah, I guess they would have cameras. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Tom Stobart, this is like, honestly, the cuntiest thing anyone could have ever said about someone. Like, it is, it is such a read. He oh described Hillary as a skeleton as tall as I was, a hatchet-thin face that seemed tied together with steel. Okay. I don't even know what to pick. Like, I'm picturing Slenderman right now wearing, like, a mask made of metal. Because, yeah, that is a terrifying description for a human being. Right? Like, I read that and I was like, first of all, Tom, that's crazy. And secondly, Mr. Ed, or sorry, Sir Edmund. Yes. What the hell? But also, I wonder what happened on their excursion that made... Tom really just dislike our good friend Sir Edmund because like that type of comment comes from somewhere <laughs> like that is just oh yeah a, that's a read <laughs> those are fighting words he's Literally. like this bitch had a hatchet thin face oh does Ugh. that mean like when you have a, a hatchet like a an like axe a, like, as they would yeah. say yeah. and you're looking at it from like front face on yeah. Oh, that is a read, honestly. And 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 then it says and seemed tied together with steel, so he was just very pointy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm imagining like you know Phineas and Ferb. Yeah. Ferb. Like for, like Phineas or Ferb? Um, no, sorry, like Phine- the Phineas. The one with the triangle head, Phineas. Yeah, Phineas. Yeah. yeah, like him, but if he was like 2D. No, I guess literally he is 2D because he's a cartoon and like super tall. Yeah. Like, that's a little scary. <laughs> yeah, terrifying. Oh, okay. You should look him up when we're on our break. I think he'll die. Oh, my God, um, yes. Uh, and then, okay, so those are the, the first two people to ever um, climb it in 1953. Since then, um, where did my point go? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Since okay. then, as of January 2019, and I couldn't find anything more recent, honestly, I was too lazy to start, like, adding up things on the fucking Himalayan database. Um, but as of January 2019, over 5,000 people have climbed the mountain. Wow. Um, and it averages about 800 per year. Eight, okay. That's actually, like, a lot. See, I thought it was less. That I, I was expecting more than that. Oh, see, I was expecting way less than that. That feels like well, a yeah. lot of the... Like, like, it feels like it's much more likely that I could run into someone who's been to the Mount Everest, like the peak. And yeah. whereas I just, that's a lot of people to me. Yeah. And, and that's, I, I guess it is a lot of, now that I'm really thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, that is kind of a lot of people because those are just people who have successfully summited. Yeah. True. That doesn't include people who, and don't I'll talk make about it all this the way. a little bit. Well, don't make it all the way, but also um, people who just hiked to base camp. That's a thing. 
So, um, oh. like a couple months ago, I was, it was during the spring I was, um, on TikTok and this girl came up and her husband, um, they, she was documenting their journey, just hiking to base camp. Oh. That's a whole thing on its own that you can do. So here's a stupid question. Is no, base camp stupid. actually like at the very bottom or is it like at almost the top as like the rest of the way is, you know what I mean? It, it, yeah. So it's kind of the furthest you can go without With having vehicle. to actually know how to mountain climb. Okay. That answers my question perfectly. Thank you. <laughs> so you could, you could hike it. It's more of a yeah. hike rather than actually climbing like the faces mountain. of cliffs and shit. Yeah, because yeah, the real okay. climbing of the mountain is extremely intense. You have to train and train and train. So base yeah. camp is more of something you can do if you're obviously fit enough to do it. But it's not as you don't have to learn how to actually scale the side of like an icy cliff. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. That makes much more sense in my head now. Thank you. So, yeah. And it's definitely, oh, no worries. And it's definitely like a tourist attraction. Like people who don't even do the hikes and stuff will still, if they're in Nepal, They'll travel to see, um, you know, the the town. They'll go to Kathmandu, which is in Nepal, um, that, you know, obviously. And there's, you know, you can see it from multiple points. Yeah, I'd imagine. Depending on where you're at. Okay, so. Yeah. We Tell left off. Big mountain. We left off talking about. Um, oh, sorry. Now, okay. I just want to say in the brief time that we were, we paused in real life over here. My edible just hit me like a ton of bricks, and I just <laughs> took more because I'm impatient. So I'm I'm already struggling. Okay, <laughs> no, just keep checking. Oh man, this is not good timing for us having to talk about real dead people. But anyway, we're gonna be respectful, despite. Um, okay, okay, yeah. So we talked about the amount of people who have climbed per year, about 800 per year. Just as yes. a reminder for you, shockingly, yeah, a lot of people. And what I also discovered is that this is not uh, for, for, for people who don't have money because it costs $11,000 just for the permit. Um, just to like, for the government to say you can do this. Yes. You have to pay them $11,000. Wow. And I believe that covers Sherpa costs because you can't just like, go by yourself I don't th- I'm pretty sure yeah you can't just be like okay I'm gonna do this by myself like you have to go with a guide with a Sherpa okay. so um which are typically like people who like are from Nepal some Nepali people or um sometimes it's you know people who are like expert Everest climbers yeah um will guide you up there so would that also be like your in- like insurance if something happens of like paying that amount of money is- yeah so if they have to res- like rescue you <laughs> Basically, and it's also kind of insurance for the Sherpa as well. Yeah, fair. So you're uh, you're paying for it because it's definitely a risk. So you have to be able to afford this. Um, not only that, like the training alone is like so vigorous. Um, they really, you really have to train your body and your mind um, to be able to like do these climbs. And also like because the higher you go, the thinner the air is because of the altitude yeah oh, that's so scary. a normal slope you know even on a normal hike would feel like you're like you know you've been sprinting because yeah. of how thin the air is 
And the concept of just being in, a, like, an area where there's just not enough air, mm-hmm. that is, like, torture. Like, that sounds yeah. awful. It sounds terrible. So, but people love doing it. Um, <laughs> but because of all these, you know, um, sorry, because of all party is <laughs> so high, dude. Oh, shit. Okay. Oh, it's probably <laughs> what you feel like if you were, like, air-deprived <laughs> on the top of Mount Everest. So but I'm giggling right, I'm, I'm giggling right now before, like, a really morbid fact. Okay, let me, like, you keep know, it together. that's just also, sometimes that's how we process uncomfortable things, and that's okay, too. I know. Yeah, that's very fair. I laugh about all of my trauma. I think that's so. a very common coping mechanism. Yeah, I think it's healthy for me. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, okay, unfortunately, though, because of the conditions and, of course, like, just, like, what you have to do to even fucking climb this mountain, um, over 300 people have died on Mount Everest. Oh, wow. Like... Yeah. Over... Like, like over time. Ever. Okay. Yeah. Not per year. What? No, 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 no. Okay. That is over time. So, I mean, it's not like hundreds of people are, like, but that's dying every year. It's still a significant amount of people... Who have died doing something that um, nobody asked you to do. <laughs> and, yeah, and that's like very intentional of like, you don't so accidentally end up in that situation. Like you are making tremendous effort to be in that situation. Which, 100%. Like, I hope that doesn't seem insensitive, but it's also like, damn. <laughs> well, and I think people I guess, who like, who like professionally like mountain climb, like that's their thing. I think they do understand those risks. Yeah. Um, you know. You kind of have to accept that at a certain point that, like. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, it's still a tragedy no matter what the context is. Like, nobody climbs Mount Everest and wants to die. But at the same time, it's like people who, you know, um, do, like, cliff diving or people who deep, who do deep sea, you know, diving or oh, people go to space. Diving, that's wild. Free diving or people, people go to space. Exactly. Like going to the bottom you, of the ocean. So, ocean yeah, the, what is it called? No, yeah, it was Ocean X or yeah. Yeah. All these rich people with their X's. But anyway. Oh, exactly, I yeah. feel like obviously very different. But also kind of the same. It's just it's a it's it's risky tourism, right? Yeah. It's 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 this sort of like our obsession and desire to conquer I think is what Mount Everest really is is like the the idea that like as human beings we feel the need to to conquer something of you know the the biggest mountain in the world so I can say I have you know climbed the biggest mountain like I don't know it's history and that's it's it's infamy it's notoriety it's and I mean people also just love extreme sports (laughs) Well, adrenaline, like, that's yeah. like a drug to some people. Yeah. So I'm like, I guess I, I can understand it from that point of view of, like, if this is the most exhilarating feeling and you like that exhilaration, mm-hmm. then, yeah, I guess you'd probably be like, this is great. Yeah. But I just can't relate on that level, <laughs> you know? No, I know. It's crazy. So it's definitely a very interesting place. It draws a lot of people. Yeah, and unfortunately, 300 people have um, passed away climbing Mount Everest, but... I, you know, before I really get into the um, nitty gritty of like the deaths and, you know, um, some of the more notable, interesting stories, um, 
I'm just going to briefly speak about it's also like has a religious importance. So um, Mount Everest also has a lot of important um, significance to the Buddhist religion, um, which is, of course, um, like there's a lot of like Buddhist people, I guess, in like this area of the world, which is like Nepal, Mm -hmm. like I mentioned, Tibet, like I mentioned before. Um, So Southern Mount Everest is considered a quote unquote hidden valley of refuge, according to and I'm so sorry, Padmasambhava, um, who was a ninth century Buddhist saint. So um, it's like, sorry, I spoke that so slowly too. Okay. It really, it took me about like 15 minutes to say that, but That's it's okay. That's okay because I'm also high, so I appreciated the, <laughs> the yeah. But also question. Yeah. Ninth century. Mm-hmm. B.C. 900. So that's, uh, 900 years. See, that is. Also oh, no, no, 800. Oh, yeah, century always. That also, I'm like, yeah. why do we do this? Because <laughs> of Jesus, you can blame this? Christ. <laughs> Just confusing. But, okay, that makes. That's a long time ago. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, I guess. It's always been very significant. Um, yeah. And then Rongbuk Monastery near the North Base offers stunning Everest views and holds significance for Sherpas in the Kumbu region, reached via yeah. Ningpala, which is a area. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then here's another long name that I apologize for my pronunciation of because I, yeah... I'm going to butcher this, and so I'm sorry. Miolang Sangma. Oh, that was not as hard as I thought it would be to pronounce. <laughs> I just had to sound it out. <laughs> oh, it's almost like languages are... Anyway. Um, so Miolang Sangma is a Tibetan Buddhist deity, and they are believed to reside atop Everest, making <gasps> climbers guests in her palace. So like, okay. they're like like people who go are guests in her palace. And what an interesting like, I guess it makes sense that the idea of gods living at the top of mountains mm-hmm. being like kind of a common like theme across many of religions yeah. is like, you know, I like you're literally higher to the skies, like closer to God. Yeah. Like, that's what a what a cool like aspect to this. Yeah, and this like deity Mianlangsama. Lang Sam, oh my god, I'm sorry. Mio Lang Sangma. Okay. <laughs> um, she, yeah, is a, obviously a super important deity because she's sitting on the goddess mother of the universe. Wow. Which is so, you know, I, I just really cool that, like, yeah, that is sort of across religions. I'm going to mm-hmm. have a lot of editing work to do for this episode. Oh no. On my end, because I don't even know. I feel like I'm like, woo. Okay. Um, <laughs> so sorry. Okay. And I know okay. it's going to be hard. Um, <laughs> so uh, Sherpa see Everest as spiritually charged, urging reverence due to magnified karmic effects and the need to avoid impure thoughts. Ooh. Okay. I'm Let's also going to be really honest with you. I don't even know if any of that just made sense. What I just said. Cause well, they, they see it as like a positive yeah 
like space that has like magnetic poles of like positivity is that's what I'm gathering from the, that sentence. to be honest I added this super last minute it was a humongous paragraph so I got chat GPT to write it <laughs> I love that but I read it and then I was like I just don't have the energy to like so I comprehend yeah yeah enough, dude so I apologize for that um okay so that is sort of, it's like, those are like my important facts. It's cultural significance, you know, some, some interesting things to, to take note of about Mount Everest as a place, as a, you know, yeah. a source of energy. So now I'm going to talk about some of the uh, tragedies, some of the deaths that have taken place there and just their significance um, to just help you understand that the conditions of the mountain are maybe harder than some people realize or like just as hard as you would probably imagine. Um, you know, and this is definitely people who do this are honestly kind of a different breed. Like I feel like anybody who would not be, no, anybody who has the ability to like actually take this on is like props to you. Cause like, just like reading a lot, like about a lot of the deaths, you know, there are some interesting patterns. I'll start off by telling you about, um, I guess, a pretty known death. This story's a little bit spooky. I don't know. When I read this, I was just so unsettled by it. It kind of just like, mm. ugh, like I just, I, I am, I am seriously so creeped out by Mount Everest just because of some of these stories. So. In 1979, a woman named Hannah Lore Schmitz, or Schmatz, sorry. God, I should know how to pronounce my Eastern European last <laughs> names. Um, Hannah Lore Schmatz passed away uh, descending the mountain, which is pretty common for a lot of people. So a lot of people do actually successfully climb the mountain, but it's actually on their way down that they... Oh. Um, a lot of people end up passing away because of the, sometimes it's like just exposure. Um, sometimes it's, you know, altitude sickness, stuff like that. But, um, a lot of people, yeah, when I was looking at it, like just, you know, looking for patterns and stuff, it seemed yeah. that a lot of people were like dying on the descent. Um, that's so sad though. Like you make it all the way to the top and complete your goal and then don't actually get to like live that out like that honestly makes it kind of worse in a way I know it's terrible oh yeah so she um was a Norwegian mountaineer no sorry she was not a Norwegian mountaineer I don't know why I said that (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) I'm really curious to hear what she actually is if she's not a Norwegian no no I was reading another thing about another person I'm about to. Oh, I'm gonna, oh, so we're gonna meet a Norwegian. Yeah, yeah. Because too. Okay, okay, so this Norwegian mountaineer, his name is Arne Nes Nes Arne Nes Nas. Anyway, Arne, <laughs> <laughs> so sorry to this guy. Oh my god, I'm like literally a tear just rolled down my cheek. I'm like losing oh. it. Arnes. <laughs> Norwegian is like one of those languages where I'm like, I'm I'm sorry that you're you're having to pronounce things because I know that's probably difficult. And also, just like it's not even the most complicated name I've seen. I'm just like, 
I'm Rip. I'm aboard the struggle bus tonight. You know, that's probably how they felt when they were climbing Mount Everest. Yeah, literally. Oh my god. Okay, so okay, Norwegian mountaineer and expedition leader Arne Ness Jr. described his encounter. <laughs> Sorry, is that all it was? Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were gonna have like three more names to say. No, that's what I meant by like literally. It's not even the most complicated name. It is literally just. <laughs> all you added was junior i was like oh okay i was expecting more okay. so our, our norwegian mountaineer yeah our, okay and the, what i'm about to read you is not funny at all it's really scary oh, no. okay <laughs> and sad okay. and super sad and super oh, super sad okay it's not far now i can't escape the sinister guard approximately 100 meters above camp four she sits leaning against her pack as of taking a short break a woman with her eyes wide open and her hair waving with each gust of wind. It's the corpse of Hannelore Schmatz, the wife of the leader of the 1979 German expedition. She summited, but died descending. Yet it feels like as if she follows me with her eyes as I pass by. Her presence reminds me that we are here on the conditions of the mountain. Oh, like, I actually... I know, it's, like, really sad. Like, it's just, like... This horrible, scary was, thing. I was not expecting her to be the dead, the dead one. I don't know. I know you kind of already told me that, but for whatever reason, I didn't expect their meeting. To, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's... Oh, and that, too... Like, okay, I had heard prior to our mm-hmm. conversation about the bodies on mm-hmm. Mount Everest. But hearing it mm-hmm. like that as, like, walking by really does put it in such a like I don't know just so morbid yeah like oh it's um it's really it's very upsetting because also because you know the way that he describes it it's like she's just there and and mind you so she died in 1979 and he said this um in 1985 Oh, because the, there's something so like sinister about the idea of just you never this might sound like gross but like you never return to the earth like you're just in your not like mm-hmm. as you were just mm-hmm. preserved and um for she uh because yeah because exactly because the the temperatures yeah, literally frozen and like i read Although I was, like, kind of surprised. I felt like it wasn't as cold as I thought it would be. <laughs> like, no. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, maybe I shouldn't be laughing right after some lady literally died. <laughs> like, I don't know. But it's, like, okay, it, but like, it, like not to it, be like, Between, like, I think, like, like um, I think it's, like, October and April. It's, like, minus 30 average. Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, but I feel like I, I've experienced minus 30. It's, like, cold, but... But have you experienced minus 30 no. with the wind chill on the <laughs> You know what? You have a point. You have okay. a point. <laughs> because here's something I've learned, is that minus 30 in Ottawa 
is cold. It sure is. But I'm going to sound like a dad because now I understand what they say Wind when chill? they mean when the, a, a dry cold versus oh. a wet cold. A dry cold, you can get pretty cold and not actually mm-hmm. feel that bad. A wet cold, it can be like not necessarily mm-hmm. that cold, like temperature wise, but you feel like oh, an no. icicle. Because it just like goes into your whole body. And I feel like that would be yeah. more the vibe of Mount Everest. Yeah. Well, I think it would probably be more dry it's, though because there's less air. <laughs> that is, is moisture is carried in air? <laughs> well, like, like when you, yeah, yeah like you're right? not wet in space. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think so. Right? But like, is there, is it? It's hu- not no, humid. Because I guess humidity no. is a mi- It's very north. No. So I guess it is a dry cold, but then I guess you're only considered But it's wind like chill. the wind chill on a mountain. You so know? the higher, you know, the higher you are, the windier it is. Windier gets. Pretty sure the winds are crazy, wind. and they get like blizzards and stuff, and it snows, and it's. Could you get literally blown off the mountain? No, I don't know. I didn't see anybody who got blown off the mountain. <laughs> they should laugh at that. <laughs> <laughs> but I like. I don't know. Like a leaf. <laughs> I'm just meaning like, see, in my head. You know when there's like those videos of people literally like on ropes yeah, on the side of a yeah. cliff climbing. If you had a big enough gust yeah. of wind, and your little holdy on whatever thing that's mm-hmm. holding you to the wall gets mm-hmm. loosened, you're going off that mountain. People have fallen for sure. A lot of people have fallen. Yeah, so that, I mean, I'll get like, into it. I'll get into it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Let's, <laughs> yeah. Let's get so, into I it. So I mean, pretty sad, but she kind of stands as a marker on the mountain, sort of a reminder to all the climbers of like the risks of this mountain, and a lot of the bodies do. There's, you know, areas that have more bodies than others. Um, you know, I'll talk about the death zone later. So, sorry to ask no, another stupid okay. question. Why? Like, is there a reason that they don't take the body? Yes. Down? So I will okay. kind of get into that, but it, it's just because the conditions are so, yeah. Fair enough. I guess that would yeah. be a difficult so, job. So, um, and my next point was actually what's interesting about this is oh. that the body, many of the bodies actually, they like cannot be moved. Um, as moving them would oh. cause more death. So, unfortunately, um, in 1984, two Nepalese men who were part of the um, Nepali uh, police investigation, like the police force, um, attempted to recover her yeah. body in 1984, and they actually ended up falling to their deaths because of this. <gasps> oh, yeah. my goodness. So, that's really why a lot of them don't, like, there aren't recovery attempts because typically what happens is that unfortunately unfortunately more people um will end up dying and the risks are just so great and i'll talk about sort of the the moral morals and ethics and you know um concerns and debates about this with another example but um essentially um 
you know, what I, something else that I noticed, because I'm going to kind of get into the sort of more of the conditions of Mount Everest, because I didn't know about a lot of this, but um, one thing that I was looking at when I was looking at like the lists of deaths is that there's kind of a pattern I was seeing, and I feel like it's attributed to a few, there's a few factors, but um, from the twenties, which is when people first started attempting to climb it. So it was just in the twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't an accessible full summit until 1953, like we discussed before, but, um, from the twenties mm-hmm. until the two thousands, so the early two thousands, many of the deaths were attributed to, um, avalanches or like falls. So just like natural accidents or just sense, natural yeah. things that you really can't stop. And then in the from the early 2000s onwards to present, there's a pattern of actually more people dying from altitude sickness and exposure and other illnesses. Um, oh. You know, this is due to obviously more less experienced people climbing Mount Everest. Um, and, you know, not to say that like, people who climb it aren't like super 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 experienced but some people just like do it because they're like i'm in a train to do this they've never like maybe even climbed a mountain before i mean i know people i don't want to be like over generalizing but it's just a theory but i guess if like in the same vein as just rich people doing dumb shit that i wouldn't be shocked was probably increase with time as like it becomes easier and easier to get, like, you know, what am I trying to say here? You <laughs> okay. Just cut that out. No, it's I don't okay. Know where I was going. <laughs> I might leave it in because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Just watching my brain no. fall apart in real I know. time. Okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's like, sorry, I'm like trying to regain my, I'm like, okay, be serious. Um, but I know it's so hard to like not laugh and it's like, some of these things are so not funny. Um, and it's also the one thing that, (laughs) sorry, again, I'm about to say something that's not really great. It's okay, Carly. Listen, I know, I know. We're not laughing about it. Yeah, exactly. It's just the... The fact that it's, it's difficult so to talk difficult. About these okay, so um, yeah, so altitude sickness, exposure, other illnesses, like I said, also lots of deaths due to the ongoing climate crisis, um, mostly by Serac yeah. collapses. Dalwa Stephen Sherpa. Um, wrote in the Everest Chronicle in 2021 that climate change has also greatly increased the risks associated with climbing, including more violent and frequent avalanches and rockfall as the mountain environment grows warmer. The layers of blue ice that literally hold the mountains together are melting rapidly, releasing rocks and other projectiles frequently. Serac collapses are also more common, making previous safe routes life-threatening. What are, what so is the Ciroc? yeah, so the Ciroc like are the the, uh, the layers of blue ice. I think that's wait. Let me like look that up. So crazy. <laughs> I thought that a quote had something in it. Yeah, well, it's sort of like a block or a column of glacial ice. Um, and it says here, sorry, it's a block oh. or column of glacial ice, often formed by uh, intersecting crevices on a glacier. Oh, interesting. 
Well, I guess that makes sense, though. If it's the yeah. mountain, it's probably so covered in ice. Everest? So like, yeah. That's, so that's I guess it's just, wild. like, a type of rock formation. So, like, like all mountains are, like, are made of different minerals, I guess, and, like, formations. So Mount Everest is made up of Ciracs, I think. Or there are Ciracs on the mountain. I'm not really sure. But they sort of help support the larger mountain and, like, the, you know, the pathways that are, like, yeah. The pathways essentially that you have to to use are are, are held together well, by Ciracs, like, and it's becoming like yeah, literally and like it's melting ice. so that these things are crum- crumbling. So there's a lot of factors that play into the mountain deaths, but there are two disasters that I feel like are important to mention just because of you know um, their significance. The April 2014 avalanche was caused by the collapse of Ciracs that resulted in an ice avalanche similar to rockfall. So normally avalanches are like just snow moving, right? Like a typical avalanche. But because it was Ciracs that collapsed, it was like big chunks of ice instead of a sheet of snow. So 16 climbing Sherpas were killed. So 16 Sherpas that like usually climb the mountain with people and guides these are like people who dedicate their lives to making sure that people safely pass the mountain 16 sherpas passed away um the ciroc that collapsed and just to give you an idea of the size the ciroc that was that collapsed was 113 feet tall and weighed 31.5 million pounds yeah so oh my god. This thing literally cracked ice, right? Instead of snow falling. And so just enormous chunks of yeah. ice instead of snow. So it was so deadly. Um that's so scary. And this caused great concern over the safety of the mountain, of course. And the normal route of approaching the mountain from the left side of the Kumbo Icefall was switched to a route up the center of the mountain instead. 2014. And, sorry, what year was that in? No, less than oh, 10 years ago. Not that long ago. Oh my god. Wow. And yet people yeah. like... And then, know. to top it all off, so they closed the mountain right after that because they were like, obviously we're not going to let people, you know, climb again. So then, yeah. finally, next year they're able to open up again. But unfortunately, um, there was another earthquake and avalanche that happened in April 2015. So the following year. So there was a 7.8 magnitude earthquake that struck Nepal, causing a huge avalanche to descend from the mountain. Icefall routes were closed for the season due to the avalanches, marking the second consecutive year of closure on the mountain. Um, following the second earthquake, oh because usually when there's these big earthquakes, there's usually like aftershocks that are basically other earthquakes. Um, there was another one on May 12th, 2015. Um, so they basically, after that second one, they were like, they totally closed it. No climbers or Nepali Sherpas were at Everest Base Camp, uh, leading to a halt in climbing activity. Um, spring 2015 saw no ascents of Mount Everest, breaking a 41-year streak of continuous climbs. Um, 
24 people lost their lives, including 10 Sherpas and three Google executives who were there actually working on a new mapping project of the mountain. Um, And there were also other foreigners from different countries um, who were attempting to climb who also passed away. Um, Wow. Yeah, so... That's so sad. Obviously, that shows the devastating effects of climate change. I mean, those two horrible disasters happening back-to-back is just... And when you hadn't, like, heard about that for so long, or at least didn't, you know, from what I'm aware of, like, that's so... It was literally, like, shocking. So, um, the... Death Zone, which I kind of mentioned before really briefly, is a part of the mountain where a lot of people usually lose their lives, unfortunately. Um, And this is at the 8,000-meter marker. So this is where supplementary oxygen is pretty much required as the air is too thin to breathe. So most deaths are are caused after climbers enter this zone, um, and it's attributed to illness and exhaustion. Yeah. Wow. So you have to also. So this is like why it's so like vigorous. Yeah. Not only do you have to climb, which is already tough, depending no matter what altitude you're in. Then you have to deal with altitude, and then you have to deal with the heavy snow gear that you're wearing too to keep yourself warm. Your pack that has your backpack and all your camping stuff, and your oxygen. Yeah. That's wild. It's like, like <clears throat> it's very intense. Much. The death zone is seriously like, I mean, they call it the death zone for a reason because people are, it, it causes a lot of death. Um, yeah. uh, another notable person who I want to talk about who passed away on the mountain is a man named David Sharp from the UK. He died on the northeast ridge near another infamous body called green boots um because i've heard of that yeah so he's like unidentified but they call him green boots because he wears lime green boots and he's kind of like his boots are sticking out on the path so um david sharp his death um unfortunately was a bit controversial because despite the fact that like 30 or 40 people saw him that day um no one helped him he so essentially what happened was that he got kind of a little bit um he was climbing a mountain I believe and he kind of got a little bit exhausted (laughs) as you do climbing this mountain um and he ended up unfortunately um, having a seat next to the green boots corpse and he um, died of essentially altitude sickness and exposure. Oh my goodness. Um, because. So he just kind of sat down and never got up. Again. Exactly. So he was too weak to, to really even move. And as we were discussing before, you know, it is such a feat to climb this mountain, you know, just you doing it. But it would also be extremely difficult to help someone else you know help carry yeah. someone else's weight i mean we saw with um schmatz's body that you know two people literally died 
trying to yeah. rescue her. So it's really like it is really unfortunate that he passed away. Like it's a terrible, awful tragedy, but at the same time, like if somebody helped him, it would have caused potentially more deaths. Um, and Sharp's mom, um, did not even blame anybody for his death. Cause she said that, you know, essentially that it would have been too dangerous to remove the body and potentially cause more deaths. Um, so, you know how I said Sir Edmund was going to be back? Yeah. Okay. So Sir Edmund, you know, despite all the reasons why, unfortunately, David Sharp died, and it's, like, really sad. Sir Edmund, like, he was like, I am the guy, so I got to chime in here. He's like, the culture around Mount Everest is so bad that it's impacted people's empathy towards dying people. And has solely become about the desire to reach the top above all else. Like, that's kind of, like, mm. his stance. And I, at first I was like, yo, that's, like, that's so true, man. But then I was also like, dude, so many people die, like, just, like, doing this. Like, and then people have died trying to recover bodies. Like, I don't know if it would have been worth it in a way. I mean, it's terrible to talk about someone's life but like I this. I guess it is, like, the idea of. If you're in a plane that's going down, you have to put your own face mask on first. Right? Well, exactly. Like, I mean, it's it's it is. Yeah. I mean, I think also Sir Edmund is kind of just like living in his own little world. Well, I think anyone who has a title, sir, probably <laughs> is not going to understand like the the common folk. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he did it. Maybe he thought, you know, when I did it, I would probably be capable of helping someone, but... I think it's also, like... Obviously, I would like to think that if I was in that situation, I would, like, just be like, oh, I'm going to help this person. Like, if I had to choose between summiting Mount Everest and helping someone not die, I think I would just be like, well, I guess I'm just going to help this person not die. Because, like, if I can do that... Like, if I'm a person who can get to that point in Mount Everest mm-hmm. I can do that again you know what I mean well if you're like, but if, if you're means, feeling well but that's what I'm saying yeah. like if I were to come across someone in bad shape yeah I feel like that I could get behind what Sir Edmund's saying in the sense of like if people were like I would be it would be difficult yes but I would be able to get this person down Mm-hmm. And we're like, well, no, because I'm going up. Well, at least try. You know? That's what I'm saying, yeah. Yeah, like, they could have, somebody could have, I mean, I get it. Like, somebody could have at least tried to get him down. If they couldn't, they could have, like, just, said, like, l- like hopefully dropped him off somewhere safer, but. Yeah, because, like, did, what did you say, 30 to 40 people passed him? Yeah. How How many days was this? This was in one day. In one day, there's 30 to 40 people going through. Oh, yeah. It gets really busy. I didn't mention that. Like, and Okay, but then I'm actually like, yeah, that's fucking stupid. Someone should help him. Because in my mind, I was like, okay, you're maybe, like, the only person on this mountain. And, like, you don't know if you're going to be able to get help either. Yeah. But it's like, if there's that many people, yeah, I actually am like, that's kind of fucked. Like. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's not logical, but I'm like, no, my, I got it. Going through. 
Yeah. You would think that the mentality would at least be, well, if I help this person go down, we'll probably run into other people who can help us if we need it too. Well, exactly. You know I, mean? I mean, I don't know. It's, it's such a, it, again, it's like such a morally tricky thing. Cause it's like, do you help this person? But also like, I think somebody, I'm pretty sure when I was reading this, I didn't write it down, but I remember reading that like, um, somebody did go ask him and he like, was like, no, go ahead. If he, oh, so he was like, don't help me. Yeah. He was like, no, go ahead. Cause like, I don't think he thought he was doing well enough. Um, and like to even move, you know? Um, but like, well, I guess, people yeah, people did say though people. yeah and and people did say like the cameraman who was like there was a cameraman up there for some reason I don't know why there usually is for for some reason there's always just a camera person <laughs> up there um but he said that like he um he was so exhausted and the conditions were so bad that day that like he like he could barely get down on his own but here Okay, do the camera people, are they, like, like, their whole job is just to be mountaineers and camera people? No, these are people who are there with, like, productions or their photographers or their, you know. That's also just kind of wild, though, when you think, like, people train their whole life for this and it's, like, you're just, like, a camera person who's, like, I guess I'm here now. But yeah. I guess that wouldn't be what it is. No, it's, I mean, it's anyway. a job. Yeah, that's just wild <laughs> to think that, like, I don't know. Yeah. I just find that pretty crazy. But, yeah, anyway, but it is, like, there is just something so, like, macabre about the fact that you had so many chances at, like, rescue. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, I mean, obviously it didn't happen, but yeah, that just is a terrible thought. So, um just as Schmatz's body remained on the mountain for, I mean, I didn't even mention this. Her body actually eventually blew away. What? Yeah. Well, she decomposed so much. Her remains oh. kind of just blew away. Oh, okay. So, but you know what? Yeah. I think that personally, I'm like, I think that is, there's more peace to that than just being. Oh, a hundred percent. You know, like, I don't, I think that's kind of a bitter, a bittersweet thing, I guess. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, but his body was actually moved um, out of view in 2004. Oh. Maybe not 2004. Sorry, 2007. That's what that's supposed to say. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, as like just a, a sign of respect? Yeah. Thing? Yeah. So what about Green Boots? Well, he's unidentified, so they left him there. Oh. And like he he serves as a, he he serves as a marker. Yeah, which is also kind of fucked up. Yeah. But like, how does someone be unidentified on Mount Everest? Because it's like only I know there's like more than I think there is, but only so many people are going through Mount Everest, and only so many people don't come back. Well, I you know? he wasn't he's been there for a really long time, like the seventies or the eighties, I think. But even then, I mean, it's not like. Well, at that time, DNA you know wasn't I mean? DNA wasn't a thing. But would it like? I guess my question is like, do you have to like sign, like, 
something to show that you're on the mountain, or can you just go up without anyone knowing? Well, I don't know at that time, actually, if you needed it, but... I guess the 70s were a wild time. You probably could just uh, go. I'm not sure. I, I mean, I don't want to, like, say for sure, because I, I don't know, but I, yeah. I will say that they did I end up identifying... Well, they they assumed it was this one person. I forgot to write down his name, but... Um, he's still technically unidentified, I think, just because okay. he also died face down, so they don't have his yeah. face to be able to tell. Um, oh, that's sad. Yeah, and, like, with all his gear on, so, like, there's no way of extracting, like, fingerprints or dental records. I mean, they could, but yeah. they would have to desecrate his body because they can't bring down the whole thing. Yeah, or bring the equipment up Yeah. There. So... Yeah. It's just unfortunate, but, um, yeah, I mean, Everest is sort of as uh, this mass grave and, um, yeah, I think, you know, it's important to remember that despite, like, it's like the Titanic and stuff like that too, you know, when people go down and, and I mean, people go down and like those Ocean X people who, you know, aren't there for research, they're just there because they, again, are paying a lot of money, yeah. you know, to be doing something super risky, you know, it is a mass grave in a sense. Um, you know, we talked about its cultural significance and its importance. And, you know, I mean, is it necessarily meant for, you know, 800 people to be climbing every year, you know? Yeah. Or is it just meant to be just a mountain that we can just say, hey, this is a mountain. You know, maybe maybe yeah. this is really dangerous and maybe climate change is going to make this even harder. Maybe we need to just respect this you know, mountain. I don't know. I mean, can you respect a mountain? But I just feel like, I don't know, maybe there's some part of me that thinks this is also, it's gotten so out of hand when so many people are passing away. And it is so sad that people have lost their lives here. It's, it's, yeah. it makes me think think that we maybe shouldn't do it. (laughs) I agree though. Like, I think it is a fact of like, we put ourselves and I'm saying we is like humanity, but also like, North American people, I guess. Like, I'll just guess white people, not even North American mm-hmm. people. Also, we can edit this out if it doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Let me restart, actually, because I had a good point and then I got distracted. That's okay. Um, but I was just going to say, I kind of feel like, too, like, I agree that it cannot, it can also just kind of be a negative thing because it's like, I have a feeling that a lot of the people doing these hikes are probably not respecting the actual, like, like cultural significance and religious significance of this place and like I think as much as I think religion like you know is obviously not going to be a universal factor like I think those types of things where it's like having a respect for the land like that like we probably wouldn't be in the same situation with climate change if that mentality was respected yeah you know what I mean yeah where it's like and I guess that's kind of like the overall theme of like you are going into it with an, a level of like expectation that there is a lot of risk to this and mm-hmm. it's the same thing with like if you're going to treat the planet like shit like yeah we're going to get like fucked over in the end yeah and it's like if you're going to take the risk of going up a mountain like that you might not end up coming down and like I don't know I guess it's it doesn't change how sad it is but it's just like uh, I, yeah I don't know yeah. So this has all been very tragic and unsettling. Um, 
So I think we need to, to turn this around. <laughs> okay. The mood needs to be turned around. You know, I would love to talk to you about Yetis. Oh my God. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Let's hear it. I honestly totally forgot that this was even an element of this. I know because oh. I spent so much time on these deaths, man. Because I just, it's, it's so important to talk about, but it's like, I'm also getting to such a high point on my edible that I'm like, I feel like I'm just not being coherent enough to talk about <laughs> sad things. No, I know, me too. I'm like, I, I honestly, this is a lesson to both of us to not make it super sad. Yeah. You know, well, we live and we learn. Yeah. Episode two, still living, still learning. Yeah, and we mean it with the most respect, <laughs> I want to say. Like, the most respect towards these people. Well, I feel like most people would understand the fact that, like, laughter is not in, like, a taunting or disrespectful way. No, it's just, like, no. A, an uncomfortable, but also I'm high, and maybe that in and of itself is disrespectful, but, like... Yeah. You know, sometimes it's just going to happen, and I think we're... We're, we're doing our best. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and on that note, thank God for editing. Hell yeah, we're gonna do <laughs> Yetis, baby. So let me tell you about the Yetis. This is a this is where we can get light and funky with it. <laughs> light and funky. All right. Yeah. I'm so excited. Also, this just makes me think of my grandma because her name was Yeti. Was it? Yeah, my Oma. Was named like Yeti? Yeah, it's a Dutch name. I like, didn't know that. How is it spelled? J-E-T-T-I-E. Mm. But J's in Dutch are often pronounced like Y's. Yeah. Yeti. Yeah. So I was like, wow, shout out Oma. Shout out to your Oma, R.I.P. Yeah. legend. Right? Love Yeti. Yeah, for we can... We can talk about death in a respectful way. Love her. Love her, queen. Yeti. We talk about yetis. <laughs> so, okay, let me read you this quote from Simon Welfare and John Fairley. <laughs> they wrote that the Yeti is tangled in a web of fantasy, religion, legend, chicanery. And commercialism. Oh. Commercialism. The Yeti is a highly commercial legend, perhaps even Nepal's principal foreign currency earner. Oh, so she's a tourist trap. <sighs> People love me? them Yetis. <laughs> <laughs> People love them Yetis. Oh my god. So you're probably like, hmm, okay, I think I know what a Yeti is, but let's 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 talk about it. So a Yeti is often described as a bipedal ape-like creature with brown, gray, or white fur and sharp, big teeth, big, sharp teeth. Oh, yeah. Scary. Very scary. But it comes, the word Yeti comes from the Tibetan word uh, Yate, meaning Yap. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I just fucked that up. It, okay, sorry. Ooh, comes from the... T- it, oh, my God. The word Yeti comes from the Tibetan word Yate. Ya meaning rocky place, and Te meaning uh, bear. Oh, well, I guess that makes so sense. So it's a rocky... A bear from a rocky place. 
A mountain bear. Mountain, basically a mountain bear. So, um, according to H. Seeger, who's a... I don't know why I thought you were <laughs> going to say according to HGTV. <laughs> ah! a, a, Sorry, go ahead. According to Chip and Joanna Gaines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, according to H. Seeger, the Yeti was a part of the pre-Buddhist beliefs of several Himalayan people. He was told by the Lepcha people... Um, sorry. He was told that the Lepcha people worshipped a glacier being as a god of the hunt. So, like... He Yeti is like a a a god symbol. Yes. Well, these pre-Buddhist people, the Lepcha people, worshipped a glacier being in the mountain, and that glacier being was known as the god of the hunt. He also reported that the followers of the Boon religion once believed that the blood of the Mir Rog dog god. Sorry. <laughs> the blood of the who? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Oh my god. <laughs> this is it's just so okay? Yeah, I'm just again struggling so hard. <laughs> he also reported oh my god. He reported that the followers of the Boon Boon religion once believed that the blood of the mere god or the wild man had use in certain spiritual ceremonies. So, yeah. <laughs> the being was depicted as an ape-like creature who carries a large... Oh, this is, this is so funny. The being was okay. depicted as an ape-like creature who carries a large stone as a weapon and makes whistling sw- a whistling swoosh sound. Yeah, so this, like, ape-like guy who's, like, known as the mere god or the wild man in the bone religion, he, like, carries around a big stone. And he, it whistles and swooshes. You know, I can honestly relate to that as someone who loves to collect rocks <laughs> and has a really bad habit of humming to myself. <laughs> I love that. So, like, as much as some people, I guess, like, culturally, like, revered a yeti-like creature as like a god or sometimes like a wild man um in the case of like people who viewed it as more of like this thing more of a creature it actually Mm -hmm. acted as a cautionary tale um for like nepali Mm -hmm. children so um much like most fairy tales if you're bad the yeti will come for you (laughs) yeah that is like a universal truth of all like all stories yeah and um it says that the best way to escape him is to quote escape him to escape him they must run down the hill (laughs) and then his (laughs) run down the hill and then his long hair will fall over his eyes and he will be unable to see them that's like kind of adorable though. <laughs> so just like run and then he'll his long, beautiful long His bangs will grow. His out. gorgeous locks will just cover his little eyeballs and instead of like just like trying to move his hair, he goes, I gotta go home. 
I'm telling you that now. Honestly, why am I really relating to the Yeti at this point? He's like, oh, too much work, and now my hair is messed up. I gotta, I gotta oh, go home. Inconvenience. Gotta go home. Anymore. Literally. Yeah. <laughs> so oh that's kind of like what people, I guess, like growing up or whatever. If you like grew up in that area or like a lot long time ago, people kind of like just worshipped it or were like terrified of it or like people just probably used it to stop their kids from like climbing up mountain the mountain because people live near like the base of the mountain so it's like just don't go climbing near the mountain because it's dangerous um yeah so the myth started circulating around the world the rest of the world um in the late 1800s as more white dudes this is what i wrote as more white dudes started traveling to nepal and writing about their experiences so, you know, 1800s... just fucking up local legends. No, literally. 1800s, these white-ass British men love to go to these fucking places, you know, where they don't really need to be. They, they like, just eat up people's cultures and spit them out all backwards, but... And they said, let me write a book about this culture because I know everything about it. Literally. More so than the people who actually live there. Yeah, and, like, I got some of it as, like, just trying to, like, spread cultures around but you know sometimes they say things and you're like what the fuck um so um let me look here sorry okay yeah so in 1899 this is a long ass time ago lawrence waddles among the himalayas documented the earliest reported or early, not the earliest, <laughs> but were some of the early reported footprints of a Yeti. Ooh. So, um, the Sherpa that accompanied Lawrence Waddle described an ape-like creature as being responsible for these footprints. But Waddle, because he's a white man and he does not believe the local people said, um, these are probably just a bear. Now, I wouldn't hmm. be surprised because there's theories that like there's monkeys that do live up there, but they don't get that big. But I'll talk about what it actually might be really soon. Okay. But you know, a monkey bear hybrid. There are like orangutans that live up there, oh. and their footprints are I big. I watched like a nature documentary of these monkeys that were like in the snow in the ice bath. Yeah, and I think that was. In this region. I don't know if it was on Mount Everest, though. Well, this is among the Himalayas, so he might have not been, like, on the mountain. So it would have been low enough, possibly, for, like, an ape or an orangutan or, like, a monkey of some sort to be able to, like, be around there. So, also, can I just mention something that I totally forgot to mention, like, at the beginning of part of my key facts? Go for it. Something I discovered that I'm, like, really horrified about is that... Oh, no. There are spiders that can live up, like, over 20,000 feet in the mountain. In, like, the snow and shit? In the crevices. Ew. And I don't want to look them up. But I want to know what... Spiders in crevices? I want to know what they look like. All the more reason to not climb Mount Everest. I really, really want to know what they look like, but I cannot look them up. That is something that I would I'm terrified. maybe don't do. No, I'm... Well, you know what, though? Here's the thing. That is a safe thing to look up because you're probably never going to encounter them. I know, but I can't even look up a picture of a spider. I'll throw up. That's how scared oh, I am. Please don't. No, <laughs> please I know. Don't do that. I get, like, I get not... If there's ever a spider, I literally get nauseous. 
Oh my god, that's like a real phobia. No, literally, I got nauseous. Maybe, and I like my I, my gut wrenches. Maybe when I come visit you, I'll do some exposure therapy for no. you. <laughs> you know, you know what though, I do. Um, I save them when I can. Aw. I'm, so you're a lover, not a hater. I try, but because I respect what they do. I respect their hustle. Anyway, so let's go back to <laughs> Lawrence Waddle over here. Um, so there were a lot of stories of bipedal ape-like creatures that Waddle kept like encountering, but apparently he found no authentic cases. Um, oh my God. What a white man thing to be like. Just because I didn't see it firsthand, it doesn't exist. I will say, though, upon investigation, the stories lacked authenticity, kind of just resembling hearsay. So more just like a legend, probably passed down again from ancient generations of parents saying, don't go up into the mountains, you're going to get fucking chased away by a wild man. Well, here's an idea, though, and maybe this has... Actually, not maybe. Probably this has literally no grounding in truth. But what if, like, however many years ago, when these stories originated, Mm -hmm. there was actually giant monkeys. Mm. And they are just no more. Maybe. Because if if their, like, remains just haven't been found, there could have been giant monkeys. Maybe. It also could have been that at the time people didn't have, like, the vocabulary for bear so it is literally a bear monkey hybrid it's not really a monkey it's just a bear that stands up on its legs maybe oh so it's like a bipedal bear sort of i don't know we'll get we'll, bear monkey in terminology makes sense then yeah we'll get into it okay let's, so, let's get into it <laughs> i'm ready to jump on in so um yeah so he said well, there's a quote here. I don't know where this quote is from. Oh, this is from Mr. Waddle himself. Okay. He said, None, however, of the many Tibetans I have interrogated on this subject could never give me an authentic case. What on the most superficial investigation, it always resolved into something that somebody heard tell of. That's what he said. So mm. it's just hearsay. Well, I love a good rumor. <laughs> So, you know how I, I said, we, you know, our, our friend Sir Edmund, he's back. Yeah. He's oh, back, back, back again. He's a offender. No, I told, I'm telling you, he's all over the place. At first, when I had him in my script, I literally had him as just the first guy who ever, like, I didn't even name the people who, and then I was like, oh, now I have to, because he's coming right back. Yeah. And I wonder if he got his Sir, um, like, prefix because of his Everest, like, yeah, he was like a very, well, he's a very known, yeah, probably that. He's a known mountain climber. He's technically a mountain knight. Woo! If he's a sir, <laughs> he's been knighted. A mountain knight. That's pretty epic. That is pretty epic. Yeah. I would just go by the mountain knight if I was, if I was him. Me too. So, let's get into Sir Edmund Tully. Not Edmund Tully, that's his not, that's not his name. That's a character from Game of Thrones. I was going to say, that sounds really familiar, why? I don't know, oh, oh my god. god, that's so funny. And when I said it, I went, that's right, and then Ooh. I went, no, that's not right. Yeah. 
<laughs> oh my god. Oh my okay, god. well, Sir Edmund, Hillary, excuse me. Oh. Sir. Hillary. Um, so, when he climbed the mountain in 1953, okay? Yeah. He claimed he saw a Yeti. <gasps> oh my god. Okay. You know what? I believe him. Ah! <laughs> and then, in 1960... This is what I wrote. He climbed it again and did a side quest where he sought out the legendary abominable snowman. So are the Yeti and the abominable snowman the same thing? Yes. Okay. Just one has a fun name. One is the one is Yeti, the more culturally close name. And the other one is abominable snowman, which is like, you know, just like. What the fuck do we call this? Yeah. Stage name. White people name for it. Yeah, literally. It's stage name. <laughs> the, the abominable snowman. <laughs> Welcome to the stage. <laughs> Actually, that's so fucking funny. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so, okay, in his side quest in 1960, because he went back and he claimed it again because, like, he fucking had to. And then he's like, oh, man, I better, you know, I got to do the side quest for Yetis. So he literally found no evidence. <laughs> He did find footprints, but they traced to other sources. Um, he kind of found some Yeti scalps <gasps> from remote temples. But when they were brought back for testing, they were identified as two bear scalps and a goat antelope. Oh. So, you know... I guess in some ways he did find a yeti if a yeti is a bear. Or a goat antelope. Or or a goat antelope, which, you know what, all the power to her. Yeah, I think one of them was like the shoulder of a goat antelope. And was being passed off as a skull? A scalp. Oh, scalp. I was like, how yeah, is the hair. Like a skull? Oh. Well, yeah. I would have fallen for it. <laughs> so Hillary concluded that the yeti was not supernatural and he kind of concluded that yeah the explanations were probably just explanations just, just <laughs> Sorry. yeah he was like yeah. the explanation is that it's just people it's just a it's a cryptid it's a myth yeah see that though in my head and maybe it's just only makes sense to me but to me, then, that makes the Yeti real. Because the Yeti is just a bear or a goat antelope. Yeah, it's That's just misunderstood. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So I'm like, we can all be right. <laughs> so people think it's most likely the Tibetan blue bear or the Himalayan brown bear. So those are bears that live in high altitudes up in the mountains. Oh, but um, the Tibetan blue bear sounds like its own cryptid. Yeah, it's, it's like a nice blue bear. It's not actually blue. I would blue. love to see a blue bear. It's not blue. <laughs> <laughs> I was just I picturing wish. a blueberry with legs. <laughs> um, and so, and then I also, like, saw pictures that, like, basically suggest that when a bear track is, like, like when it settles in snow, it, it looks a lot like a Yeti track. So the, the foot, like, melt, like when it settles in the snow, the foot melts a little bit, like, down. So it kind mm. of looks like a real footprint instead of just a normal bear track. Bear. And I guess maybe if the bear is on its hind legs, its whole weight is in it, so it's going to put more, like, depression in the snow. You know what I mean? Yeah. If it's on two feet. 
Yeah, exactly. Because bears are pretty fucking wild. Here, like, have you ever seen those videos of those bears in the zoo that are standing on their hind legs and, like, waving at people? Yes, it's terrifying. Yeah, so I'm like, if I was in the mountains and saw that, I would also be like, yeah, this is not anything normal. <laughs> no, I'd be like, that's like a this- wild man. <laughs> yeah, literally, literally. I would be like, that is a Rocky Mountain bear. <laughs> like, No, literally. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, unfortunately, yeah, it's, it's, there's not a lot of evidence for Yetis, but I thought, you know what, the, I have, this is my last sort of bit here, is that I want to end it off by telling you, from the 20th century, early 20th century to present day, some key Yeti sightings and spottings. So these are the most notable ones. Okay. Okay. So in the early 20th century, the earliest, <laughs> the, <laughs> the early 20th century, as Western mountaineers commenced their expeditions in the Himalayan region, interest in the Yeti sightings grew, coinciding with attempts to conquer the challenging peaks, uh, including Everest. That's kind of when, like when we were talking about earlier, that's when these mm-hmm. sort of claims started. So in 1925, N.A. Tombazi, a photographer and Royal Geographic geographical society member encountered a peculiar figure at around 15,000 feet near the Zimu glacier. He meticulously observed the being for approximately one minute, nothing noting, sorry, noting it's human, like outline upright posture Ooh. and lack of clothing. Ooh. Yeah. Kind of creepy. Yeah. Um, in 1937, during the autumn mountaineers, John hunt and pacing Sherpa came across mysterious footprints near Zimu Gap above Zimu Glacier. These footprints were attributed to a potential pair of yetis. <gasps> oh, they're dating. <laughs> <laughs> they're courting each other through the Zimu Glacier. <laughs> oh, my God. In 1944, C.R. Cook accompanied by his wife and a group of porters, stumbled upon a remarkably large set of footprints in soft mud at an at elevation of 14,000 feet below Singalia Ridge. The local porters referred to the entity responsible for these tracks as the Jungli Admi, or Wild Man. Cook measured and photographed these prints, noting their distinct characteristics. That is pretty creepy, though. Because, like, here's the other thing. If you're at a high altitude, you're probably not thinking totally straight, mm-hmm. you know? And you see that? I'm losing my shit. Yeah, exactly. And then in the 1950s, interest in Yeti settings reached um, um, on an all-time high in the in mm. that decade. And that is because Eric Shipton's photographs of the large footprints in the snow on Mount Everest specifically captured at around 6,000 meters above sea level spurred debates regarding their authenticity and potential links to the Yeti. I would have loved to have like seen all that rigmarole of like the biggest year for the Yeti. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, That would have been fun. And it's because it's because the Daily Mail snowman expedition occurred in 1954. Oh, my God. And this documented numerous footprints. Allegedly, a a Yeti scalp was discovered 
and the Pangboche Monastery. Hair samples were the, from the scalp were studied, leading Professor Frederick Jones to associate them with sarrow hair, a type of goat antelope. You know, I nothing against goat antelopes, but like <laughs> they're really killing the vibe. <laughs> Um, and in 1956, in his book, The Long Walk, S- oh, Slaumir Rawikits. I am so sorry, Slaumir. <laughs> Rockowitz. I hope he forgives us. Recounted an eerie encounter during the, his Himalayan crossing in 1940. He and others were obstructed by two bipedal creatures moving inexplicably in the snow. Ooh, I actually hate that. Like, in horror movies, when things move at, like, an unnatural pace. Yeah. Gross. Totally. (laughs) (laughs) And then in 1957 to sort of the 1960s, businessman Tom Slick financed expeditions led by explorers like Carlton S. Kuhn. What a name. Uh, aiming, <laughs> aiming to investigate Yeti reports. And then, oh my god, the actor James Stewart. You know Jimmy Stewart? Mm, it sounds familiar, but I don't know who that is. Okay. He like brought back a, a hand, the alleged hand of a Yeti from Nepal. What? And then people were like, what the fuck? <laughs> so like, He brought back a hand. Yeah, well, it probably wasn't a, a hand. A real hand. What would it have been, though? You know, I don't know. Let me look that up. That's equally concerning. You know what I mean? Unless it was, like, popsicle sticks and paper mache, but, like... Ew. Sorry, I just looked it up. <laughs> Wait, what did he act in? Oh, like old-timey movies, like It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, okay. So probably, like, would make poor decisions. I feel like that era of movies was a lot of shit going on. It's a human hand. What? Yeah. (laughs) He stole a human hand! Oh my god! What the fuck?! It went oh from my It's God. a Wonderful Life to, yeah, now he has wait a, a minute, hand Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, sorry, I'm reading the Wikipedia page right now. I'm, like, really oh trying to God. skim through it. What the fuck? I could have done a whole video on this. <laughs> a video. A whole podcast on this. <laughs> on Dece- in December wild. 2011, it was announced that a finger belonging to the hand contained human DNA. Following tests carried out in Edinburgh, Dr. Rob Ogden commented that we have got a very, very strong match to a number of existing reference sequences on human DNA databases. Human was what we were expecting, and human was what we got. Oh, my God. So where did he get it? So this person named, I don't know, someone. (laughs) Oh, Peter Byrne. Who that is. Um... He smuggled the bones because it's just a bone hand. He smuggled the bones from mm. Nepal to India, after which James Stewart allegedly smuggled the hand out of the country in his luggage, bypassing security by hiding it, in it among his wife's undergarments. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, he got so it. So he hid a human hand in his wife's underwear. 
why? Like, for what? But he thought it was a Yeti hand. Okay. You know, I don't... (laughs) Some people shouldn't have money. Uh, You know what I mean? He wanted it. (laughs) But, like, bro, my thing is... If I if I had proof that a yeti existed, I'd I'd be so excited. But do I want to bring it home with me in my wife's undergarments? No. Absolutely not. No. Cuz like now you have haunted underwear. <laughs> you put like literal human remains in your I underwear. I know that's so gross. Not you, but <laughs> yeah. Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> um in 1970, noted British mountaineer John Willens claimed to have observed a creature similar to the Yeti while ascending Annapurna, which I guess is another mountain. Um, he reported witnessing the being moving on all fours. So that really leads me to believe that so it's, it's, a, probably it's just a, bear. a bear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and in 1983, the Taylor Fleming expedition ventured into Nepal's barren valley. They discovered Yeti-like footprints intriguing nests in the areas and reports from locals about of two types of bears Ruki Balu a tree bear and Bui Balu a ground bear these footprints were later associated with the acidic black bear and in the 21st century um 21st the 21st (laughs) in the 21st century so in 2004 um nature editor Henry Gee suggested further study of Yeti belief after the discovery of Homo florin, flor, oh my god Floris Florisinus <laughs> in 2007 I don't know what that means you know like a species of of uh, human oh that also oh what an amazing topic that would be and then in to 2007 Joshua Gates um, had like a it's like that he hosted a show called like Expedition Unknown or Expedition something um, he reported on discovering footprints in the Everest region and then um, the Indian Army's 2019 expedition claimed to find Yeti footprints near Makalu base camp sparking renewed interest in the legend so up until 2019 people have still been claiming that like they found Yetis and I'm pretty sure I read like even more recently like last year people were still claiming that they've seen like footprints and stuff but from everything that I've read and like everything like I've read like I read some books and stuff like not whole books but just chapters about yetis and books (laughs) and like (laughs) I was like I'm not about to read a whole book on cryptids but (laughs) no but I did find a good book about a bunch of cryptids that's where I got some of my a lot of my information about the yetis from but um it's it's interesting it's like it's just it sounds like it's just a bear to me yeah i really i have to agree i think it's a combination of bears and altitude sickness (laughs) literally and also just like people just like like maybe it's like you know it could be a couple hundred feet away you know could be probably less than that creepy but yeah if you see something in the distance you've also like snow blindness plays a factor into that like yeah i don't know and just like tourists not knowing things yeah you know i feel like some of the exaggerations of stories and stuff that are coming out of like people who are on the mountain like once Mm -hmm. it's like you probably wouldn't know what you were seeing anyway no exactly so 
I guess to totally conclude this episode, because we've been at it for a really long time. <laughs> it's so late, and I want to go to bed. <laughs> but seriously, Mount Everest is, like, a really intriguing place. Like, to me, I just feel like it's just full of so much energy and different, you know, beliefs and just tragedy and, you know, importance and significance. And I don't know. I just think it's a very interesting thing in the cultural zeitgeist yeah I really it is I I really enjoyed that I think it was a a wonderfully done topic and thank you I am very like mystified by Mount Everest but also all the more convinced that I'm probably never going to climb it absolutely not (laughs) no (laughs) and I say probably as in absolutely never going to climb it (laughs) I don't know you might have an epiphany tomorrow if I do that's when you know I've lost it (laughs) (laughs) oh my god well true that all right well thanks for listening everybody every all all 12 of you if you climb mount everest do it ethically (laughs) amen to that all right thank you so much for listening check the description for more information about our podcast and stay tuned for the next Magical Mystery Hour. Until next time.